Good morning, everyone. My name is David Cassidy. I'm lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. In the early service, I said, hi, I'm David Cassidy, the lead pastor at Christ Community Church, but that's different now. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, worship with you this morning. Um, thank you for your prayers while I was away this last week at General Assembly in St. Louis and uh, then uh, visiting with family back in Tennessee. Good to be here with you and rejoicing in the Lord. We are, if you're new with us today, whether you're watching online or joining us here in person, in the middle of a series on a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, a community of people we discovered are very much like ourselves. And he writes to them about the wonder, the astonishing wonder of what God has done in Jesus Christ. So the title of this series is Beyond Imagination. And that comes from a text at the very end of this chapter 3 that we'll be looking at today, where Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, and he goes on to say that our God is the one who could do exceeding abundantly beyond, piling up all these superlatives, exceeding abundantly beyond everything we could ever ask or imagine. That what God has done in Jesus Christ had captured the wonder of Paul's heart. And so he writes to this great church to remind them of the goodness of the Lord that he has given to them in Jesus. Of course, we're not tackling every single text uh, here in the book of Ephesians. We're going to take some big chunks like we will today, and we're not going to be able to go into as much depth as we'd like to. I think you could preach for a, at least a year here in the book of Ephesians. I'd love to do that sometime, but uh, we're just kind of getting some big sections. It's, it's like the 30,000-foot view. Um, in some ways, I'm good with that. In other ways, I feel a little uncomfortable with it. It's a little bit like when people used to ask me, because they knew I lived in London, I've got one day to see London. How do I do it? And of course, the answer to that is, well, you can't. And, but the only advice I could give them was to get on one of those buses that's got the top sawed off and drive you around and go, oh, oh look, there's Westminster and there's St. Paul's and there's the, there's the National Gallery. And then they get to the end of that and they always come and go, I saw London. And I'm like, you did it. And so we want you to be inspired by this series on Ephesians to take a little time and begin, hopefully, to study it more in depth, to take what is given you on Sunday morning, let it whet your appetite, and take you deeper into the text. What Paul does is outline for this congregation, this great community of believers, the wonder and the astonishment of what God has done for them. A plan that goes back before time because they were chosen in Christ before the world was founded. And he describes it going all the way to the end of history when time reaches its fullness. And between those two places, he tells them what it means to be engaged in the mission of Jesus and to learn to walk in Jesus. And we get here in chapter 3, I want you to Follow along with me, and we're going to read the first 12 verses together as Paul begins to talk to them about one of the works of grace that happen in our lives because of God's mercy to us. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery, 
was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Notice, just in passing, I'll just pause here for a second. Paul was made a minister, a servant by grace. That was grace at work in his life. Let's keep reading. To me, the very least of all the saints, this Grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is in accordance with his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And this is the word of the Lord. My friends, there's a wonderful word Paul uses in here. He says he's going to be unpacking the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word that he uses there for unsearchable shows up in Romans chapter 11 as well, where Paul gets to the end of this remarkable theological section, and he explodes in praise and thanksgiving to God, and he says, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. The word that Paul uses has its root in in an old Greek word for a footprint that somebody leaves. And it's not a word that shows up anywhere else in the ancient world outside the New Testament. It's a word Paul made up. He had to invent a word to describe what it was like to try to trace out and follow along in the steps, the path of discovering the wonder, the amazing, astonishing beauty and majesty of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that has captured his heart. That's why when he says, I've just written briefly, he's talking about the first two chapters of what we've already studied. And that was pretty thick, dense, intense stuff. He begins by saying, grace and peace to you in Christ Jesus. He uses the the common Gentile greeting, grace to you, and the common Jewish greeting, peace to you, shalom to you, and he combines them together, grace and peace, because it's a Jewish and Gentile community, a Jewish and Gentile congregation, grace and peace to you, because they're now all being made one in Christ Jesus. But of course, there's more going on there than just a greeting, isn't there? Grace and peace is a postcard of the whole gospel. Because God has been gracious to us, we now have peace with him. Because all that had alienated us from him, all of our sin, our high treason and rebellion, has been taken away through what Jesus did at the cross. And so now we have peace with God, but we also have peace with one another. 
And so Paul then goes into this great anthem of praise, a great Trinitarian anthem of praise, praising the Father for the adoption he's given us, praising the Son for the redemption that we have through his blood, praising the Spirit for the protection that we have because we're sealed by the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And then he bows before the Lord. After praising him, he bows, he writes this prayer, I'm praying the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the wonder and the beauty of what God has done for you in Jesus. And then after praying, he starts to teach. He says, you are dead, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and God made you alive. Salvation is incredibly personal. We were lost and he finds us. We were dead. He resurrects us. He makes Jesus' story of death and resurrection our story. He takes us from death to life. But this salvation, which is intensely personal, is also interpersonal. And he writes that what God did for us personally in uniting us to the Father through Jesus Christ has also united us together in this international, multinational astonishing community of beauty called the church. He says, you who are far off have been preached to, the Gentiles. You who are near, the Jews, you've been preached to. And now all the old dividing walls that used to be between you have been broken down. You are now, because you have faith in Jesus, all one body, all together in Christ, no matter what your ethnic background, no matter whether you were from a high socioeconomic status in the Roman Empire or a low socioeconomic status, whatever your background was, because you have faith in Jesus, you're now all one in Jesus. And that's amazing. And if I cut to the chase here, you go to the end of this section we just read, and Paul says that through this church, this multinational, cosmopolitan community of grace, God is showing the principalities and powers, the angels, the wonder of who he is in his mercy. That now, through the church, Angels, principalities, and powers are seeing who God is, and they are astonished. That includes dark powers. So angels see what God has done in Christ, and they cry holy. And the demons see what God has done in Christ, and they tremble. And that's because they look on the unity that God has created in a humanity that was broken. The cross not only made us one with God, the cross... By its vertical beam united us to the Father, but the, Christ by, the cross by its horizontal beam has united us to one another. And that means you become a church that is this multicolored international community that's full of like Haitians and Brazilians. I thought I'd get an amen on the Brazilians. I thought for sure. And there's like Cubans and Colombians. There's people even from Tennessee that are in this thing. We are, <laughs> I mean, that's how great the grace of God is. And the, all of heaven and all of hell looks at that and goes, look at that. And Paul says, that's the mission we're on. God has done something in us. Because he's decided to do something through us. And he calls that something grace. You see, when we think about grace, we tend to think only of 
saving grace. Well, it's important that we think of saving grace because as he wrote in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. When I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that my dad taught me that verse, first verse he ever taught me to memorize. My dad collapsed a week ago. And my sister and my brother and myself, we had to put him in permanent care. And sometimes he remembers us and sometimes he doesn't. And his frail body is growing more frail with every passing hour. And as I sat with him there in that care home, I said, uh, Dad, let's read the Bible together. And he said, okay. I said, let's read Ephesians 2. Read the first verses that you ever taught me. For by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Dad, he goes, I don't know that I remember that. And I said, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, and then he spoke of, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. And I said, not the result of works. That no one should. And my dad said, no boasting. No boasting. No boasting. With tears running down his face. There's no boast because grace and grace alone has saved us. God did not look upon us and say, look at that guy. Look at that gal. Think of what I could do if I just had them. No. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a GQ model like me. No, that saved a what? A, A wretch like me. That's grace. But grace isn't just what saves us. Grace is not something for just at the beginning. It's grace all the way through. When Paul was in terrible pain, going through a horrible ordeal, he prayed that God would take this thorn in the flesh, he called it away from him. And God, I know you've never had this experience where God answered your prayer by saying no. God said no. And then he said, my what is sufficient? My grace is sufficient. There was sustaining grace. There's saving grace and there's sustaining grace. But listen in this text, it's not just saving grace and sustaining grace. There's serving grace. Look what Paul writes here. He says, you know the stewardship of God's grace, and I want you to notice this phrase in verse 2, this grace that was given to me for you. And then he says, this grace, by this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And then a little later in verse 8, he says, this grace was given to me to preach. So Paul was made a minister by grace. He served by grace. And you say, well, that's great for Paul. I mean, he was an apostle. I'm a hedge fund manager. I'm a housewife. I'm a car dealer. I'm a recruiter. I'm a college professor. I'm a high school student. I'm no apostle. That's great for him. But the grace that God gives to serve him is not given just to apostles. It's given to every Christian. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is a grace which is given to every Christian for the common good. There are no graceless Christians in the church. There are no people in the church who've been given the gift of sitting. (laughs) 
See, some of you thought you had the spiritual gift of coming and sitting and listening. That's my gift, that I go away and nobody will bother me for another week. No, the gift is not to sit. The gift is to serve. And it's for the common good. And listen, listen, what did Paul say? This grace that was given to me for you. To me for you. Would you say it with me? To me for you. This is not saving grace or sustaining grace. This is serving grace. This is the grace that God pours into our lives by which we can serve him. And that way he is glorified through our lives because his work is being accomplished through us. Peter wrote to the early Christians and he said, use the gifts that God has given you serving him with the strength that he supplies. That's every single believer. One of the greatest underemployment problems in the world today is not in society, it's in the church. God did not save you to stack you and store you until the second coming. He has saved you and graced you because he wants to do something not only in you, but through you that makes angels say, wow, and demons say, oh, no. When you get up in the morning, hell goes, oh, no, they're up again. He has done something in you because he wants to do something through you. What does that look like? Well, it, it looks like this. It looks like, first of all, a revelation. Look at chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. The mystery was made known to be by revelation as I have written briefly. Those first couple of chapters. There was a revelation that took place in his life. As Paul is going down the road to Damascus, he sees Christ. He meets him. He's knocked to the ground. Who are you, Lord? And he discovered that the Jesus he thought he knew was someone entirely different. He thought he knew who Jesus was. Jesus was a fraud. Jesus was a false teacher. Jesus was not to be trusted. And then he discovered who he really was. There are plenty of people in our world who think they know who Jesus is, just like Paul did. Paul's going down the road to Damascus to put an end to this errant Jesus movement, and suddenly Jesus appears to him. There's a revelation. He discovers who he is, not because of his remarkable intellect, though Paul certainly had that, but because God in his mercy opened his eyes to the wonder and the beauty, the staggering majesty of who Jesus is. And when he saw him, it ripped his heart open and brought him from death to life. That's the revelation called salvation. We have Jesus revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That isn't simply learning a set of truths. That's having our hearts opened, our eyes opened to the mystery which hasn't been seen but now is seen because God in his mercy has opened our hearts and eyes to see the wonder of who he is. And when that happens for us, everything changes revelation becomes transformation look at verse 6 this mystery is that the gentiles are fellow heirs so remember paul's a, a pharisee that's his background he's got that that potent jewish theological background very honorable and now he discovers that the people that he looked down on the most are his brothers and sisters 
and he discovers that Jesus, who he thought was a fraud, is actually Lord. And he discovers in this revelation, this transformation, that these people are now part of the same body with him. And that this grace is given to him, look how he describes himself in verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. The least of all the saints. Grace is given to him, even though he's the least. I don't know where you think you are this morning. You might think you're, you're, a, you're a nobody. I'm just, the, I'm, I'm, I'm just nothing. But Paul's already got least of all the saints cornered. This is a guy who killed Christians for a living. And God turned him into the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's what grace does. Let's remember he's writing from prison. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, is how that chapter begins. And while Paul isn't preaching any sermons, it doesn't stop him writing letters. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I don't know what circumstances you're in this morning. You may be facing all kinds of illness. You may be facing all kinds of relational hardship. You may be facing uncertainty in your career. Whatever prisons you may feel like you're in this morning, Paul was in a literal prison, and he said to me, this grace has been given to serve God. It's absolutely transformational, and he becomes the least. He recognizes himself. He got, he's a completely changed person. You see, while he was going down that road to Damascus, his name, his name wasn't Paul. It was Saul. It was Saul of Tarsus. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, he tells us in the book of Philippians. Well, of course, he's named for the greatest Benjamite of all, King Saul. You read about him in the Old Testament, that first great king of Israel, and it describes him. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Saul was a six foot three, three X kind of guy. I like that. He was shopping at the big and tall place. That's, that was King Saul. What does Paul mean? Paul, he's his dad and mom named him for Saul, big. Paul is a Latin name that means small, small. He got small. Because you've got to be small to go through the eye of a needle and enter the kingdom. The kingdom is entered by people who humble themselves and become like children. And if you think you're somebody God can't use. Pastor, you don't know how messed up I've been. There is nobody more messed up than this man. But he who was proud became humbled. And God began to use him and surround him with people he never thought he'd be surrounded with. He united him with people he never thought he'd love. That's what happens in the body of Christ. We're not only united to Jesus, we're united to one another. That's what Jesus did with his own disciples. He took a person like Matthew, the tax collector, love that guy. Collaborator with the Romans, Jewish guy taking taxes, not just your standard IRS agent, but ripping people off. Doing this with the Romans, and he takes him. Jesus chooses that guy. And you would not have chosen him. Let's get real. And he takes another guy, Simon the Zealot. Now, Zealot does not mean he was enthusiastic. Zealot is a technical term that is used of a group of people who the zealots who were terrorists in that day and they walked around with knives looking for romans who had gotten separated from other people and they killed them they also killed jews who collaborated with the romans 
So Jesus takes collaborator tax gatherer and zealot with a knife and says, ah, let me introduce you to each other. I'm going to put you together in my apostolic band. You imagine that first dinner party together, those two guys looking at each other. That's the transformation that happens. One of my elders in the church back in Kentucky, this is years ago, had been at a large conference. He was raised in the segregated South. And he was at this large conference um, in a big football stadium. And there had been a dramatic message about the unity of all believers in Christ. And there was a particular moment towards the end of that service where they said, we're going to pray for healing for people. He had a terrible infection in his foot, was in a lot of pain. And they said, so if you need prayer for healing, like if you can, to stand. And so he stood. And then they said, if you see somebody standing nearby, I want you to pray for them. So he's standing there, and this lady in the stadium sitting in front of him turns around to pray for him. And she's this pretty big black lady. And uh, she starts praying for him. And I mean, praying. I mean, there is prayer like, O hey Lord, we do humbly beseech thee that thou in thine infinite goodness would look upon us with mercy. There's that prayer. And then there's like, hang on. Whoa. Okay. That kind of praying. Okay. All right. She's getting after it. And, and um, he, she's, in, she's in this fervent prayer, and, he goes, and suddenly he's convicted. And he just goes, oh, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. She goes, what? He, he goes, look, I just got to confess to you. I don't like black people. And she looks at him, and she says, oh, that's okay. I don't like white people. <laughs> and they fell into each other's arms, he said, weeping and repenting. And when they let go, his foot was healed. Because that's what grace does. It's a revelation that leads to transformation. And then that transformation leads to a proclamation. Look what Paul says. To me, this grace was given to preach the unfathomable, unsearchable riches of Christ. Every single one of you, hear me now, every single one of you are preachers. You may preach to a little children's class. You may preach to the people at your work. You may preach to the people in your neighborhood. You may preach to your children and your grandchildren. You may preach to your husband and preach to your wife. I hope you husbands and wives are preaching the gospel to each other. But we are sharing with people the riches of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are called by God to take the gospel to everyone we know everywhere we go, sharing with them the good news of what God has done in Christ that is the answer to the bad news of the treasonous rebellion that has been down in our hearts that led us to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Every single one of us has been called to share that good news of Jesus with other people. That's what happened to Paul. He discovered that Jesus was not just some teacher, not just a false prophet. He discovered that he was the, the savior of the world, that he was he was not just even a great. Well, there have been great people in history. Simon the Great, Alexander the Great, Catherine the Great, Peter the Great. You will search history books in vain for anybody who ever refers to Jesus the Great. Because Jesus is not a mere great. Jesus is the Word, the eternal God, become flesh. Jesus is God, Emmanuel, Come down here with us to bear our sins in his body on the cross, to die in our place, to make hell his inheritance so you could have heaven as your inheritance. That's not a great, that's a savior. And that's what we need. 
And that's what we share with people. And you need it. And that leads to this demonstration, this final point, a demonstration. That now, through the church, through the church, principalities, powers, see this new unity that's happened through the cross. Through the, you know, there are all kinds of secular theories about the answers to the problems of racial hatred and division. All kinds of secular theories about how we heal gender wars and so on. I'm going to tell you the only answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. And here's the issue. You and I are now graced by God to share that cross with other people. The grace that's been given to us. Grace not just that saves, grace, not just that sustains, but grace by which we serve, the grace to serve. And I have to ask you this morning, I have to, do you understand the importance of the church? A lot of people believe in the invisible church. They love the invisible church because they don't have to show up for it. It's invisible. They have invisible elders, they give invisible tithes. But the church is not invisible. It's very visible. And it causes joy for angels and fear for hell. And when somebody says, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, it's a little bit like saying, I, I, I like you, but I don't like your wife. Good luck with that. The church is the bride of Christ. And she stands in need of your service. To me, this grace is given. To me, for you. This grace is given to serve the Lord. But for too long, people have sat back. And they've said, well, I'm going to be in the church of somebody else. You know the church of somebody else. When something needs to be done, who does it? Somebody else. Somebody else will lead the worship. Somebody else will take care of the, the funding. Somebody else will give the gift. Somebody else will take the time. Somebody else will do that. But my friends, there are no spare members of the body of Christ. God has done something in you to do something through you. And today, the Holy Spirit is summoning many of you back into service to join the apostle and say the grace that was given to me for you for others. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, which is unusual. I believe something spiritual happens when physical things are done. Baptism is physical and material, but it's also spiritual. Communion is material and physical, but it's also spiritual. Something spiritual happens. Preaching and singing and worship, those are physical activities. But there's something intensely spiritual about them. I'm going to ask you to do something physical. If you've been underemployed and unemployed in the service of Christ in his church and you know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you today and saying it's time to re-engage then I'm going to pray for you today but the way I'll know to pray for you is by asking you to own it to stand just where you are and say I want the Lord to use me I am re-engaging what God has done in me I want him to do something through me. I want him to reconnect me with people so that he can do his work through me. If that's you, wherever you are, I just want you to stand up right now.
Isn't that great? Wonderful. Beautiful. I thank the Lord for that. You know what I love about that? You know what I love about this? I don't have to see. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see people standing, and that's beautiful. And the Lord's going to, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have stood, and they're saying, Lord, use me. I ask, Lord, that the grace that saves and the grace that sustains will become in them the grace by which they serve. And they'll take the gifts of the Spirit that you put in them, and they'll begin to use them for your glory. And you'll begin to show your strength not only for them, but through them. That the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are wholly His, so that He may strongly support them. Lord, would you do this work, and would you fill this church, fill this place with those who are serving you joyfully, with delight, Whatever prisons we may find ourselves in today, Lord, even there, find us serving you. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'll tell you a story. In the first service, a guy stood up, and, and he didn't know that right in front of him, or right behind him, rather, was Ron Tobias. And Ron Tobias just poked him and said, I saw you stand. I'll be calling you this week. I want to say to everybody who's standing, you can never sit down again. Now let's everybody stand and let's bless the Lord together.